Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. Brandy Stanley spent a lot of time working in branding and marketing before she could no longer avoid the truth. It just wasn't what she was supposed to be doing anymore. But just what was she meant to do instead? It's a question so many of us ask, and we all know it can take time to find the answer. In Brandy's case, it turned out to be using all the skills she developed already to make connections between things that seem unconnected and bring them to others via her podcast, This Plus That. We talk about that journey, the art of being ready, the magic that happens when you start taking steps toward the things you really want to do, and the concept of aliveness, which is a whole lot bigger and more profound than you might expect. Here's my conversation with Brandy Stanley. Brandy, I am really psyched to talk to you this evening. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you also. I always start by asking people how they got started on their creative journey. If it's something that you started doing as a kid or if you came to it later or, you know, what that looked like for you. Yeah, what a what a question, because where <laughs> does one start with that? Like, how long do you have? Um, I'd say that my real I started drawing as a kid. That was the first sort of creative endeavor I remember doing. And, and actually, I remember sort of as an, a young adult asking my dad once at dinner, you know, do you, what's the first thing you remember me doing? You know, I thought like, was I playing with Barbies? Was I, you know, playing with trucks or whatever the sounds very gendered (laughs) options, but you know, like, is there something that you remember me doing when I was very small? Uh, which, you know, for me was a question of like, what came naturally? And his response immediately was, I remember you drawing, like even when I was probably beyond, you know, remembering that I was doing it. So before I had recollection of it, I think that was something I always did. But um, I drew, I think, into my late childhood or like maybe through my teens for a while. And I don't know what really stopped that. I've, I've sort of examined that in pieces of my life and wondered where that really went consistently. But at some point, I think in my young adulthood, I started, I would start drawing as a way to process grief, but I wasn't really, I I was never really a person who just like was constantly doodling or was drawing from, you know, just my imagination. I was always the kind of, um, like drawer or artist who had to look at something in order to be inspired to draw it. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that drawing and that sort of art were my original foray into creativity. And then I feel like I sort of got into more like intellectual <laughs> pursuits and uh, conversation and and things. But I, I've spent a lot of my quote unquote career wondering what I think like a lot of us, right? Like what I was supposed to do with my life because I was sort of good at maybe several things that I enjoyed somewhat, but nothing that really caught me that I really just kept diving into individually and I feel like the big part of my story is just this like meandering path around, you know, I, when I got into, you know, more of like being paid for work, I started doing branding, marketing, communications, and sort of the story I tell around that was that it was like the way I knew how to monetize my creative gifts. It was just like the most clear, but I always felt like there was this other artistic part of me 
that wasn't being fed that entire time. And so I have a long sort of path of, I think, choosing the secure job over and over and over and over again until really in this last year and a half that it became intolerable to do something any longer that wasn't, you know, I, I just sort of had a sense that I wasn't here to do branding and marketing. You know, like there was maybe something more and, and that I wouldn't be fully satisfied if, if I didn't at some point really tap into and honor this voice that kept telling me that there was something else I wanted to do. I should also say too, that I think a, lo- a lot of the like branding marketing, uh, um, there's sort of this thread through all of it that was also writing. So writing is something I've done, I think, also my whole life, you know, in, in elementary school and middle school, I was always doing types of creative writing classes. And, um, you know, my undergrad degree started in journalism. That was the very first thing I focused on in uh, university and, you know, had consistently sort of parents who were who were like, I'm, we're not sure that's going to make a lot of money. And, and I don't know if that's part of why I, I have this internal, I've had this internal need to keep choosing the branding and marketing as a way to keep making money. But writing is a huge part of what I do and what I love. And that has that part has never really stopped. I've just found sort of different avenues to do it. But it's certainly part of what now I feel like I'm focusing on more to like really feed the the real creative side of me. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, because as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, it's such a familiar common story that Mm -hmm. you take the things you really love and you try to turn them into something that will make you money and then you end up not really loving them as much anymore or at least you don't Mm -hmm. love that form of it but -hmm. you're not sure that you're allowed to do something else or what that something else would be and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering I, I just have this feeling like there's more under that that you could say about that tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, I think that for me, yeah, choosing sort of the branding and marketing and communications bit was in a lot of ways, not for me, like choosing the creative pursuit and then finding that making that my job was unsatisfying. It was that I never really fully honored until recently a drive to do the more creative pursuits. And because, you know, like, like a lot of us, I think the common story actually is just that like, it's, it's, we have to survive some way, you know, like, and so a lot of what I talk about often is, you know, like, how, how do you make a living doing what you love is the just constant question for all of us. And there's so many reasons that we're, we f- at least feel put in a position where we can't make that choice. And sometimes that's very, very real. And sometimes I think that we've sort of done a disservice in dishonoring the actual uh, power and gifts that we have to really move forward and and how successful you can be when you uh, realize that when you're actually doing something you have it a passionate about, people experience that in a totally different way. And there's this like magic intangible thing that just starts to like show up when you actually try to start doing it. So yes, I have had a lot of a story that's like, oh, if I make the creative passion, the thing that gets me paid, will it sort of dampen my joy around those things. And, you know, I mean, sure. I mean, even in creating this new podcast, I, 
you know, part of it becomes a job, right? Like part of it becomes just the repetition. It becomes, you know, I, I, I created a podcast that really gave me an excuse to read all the things that I want to read all the time and talk to people that I would have liked to talk to anyway and conversations I probably would have been having anyway. So that sounds lovely, lovely, but yes, there has been some part of it that has become sort of a job that doesn't make it quite the same, but I think that's sort of why, and I'm not going to say it works that way for everyone, but I think for me, part of why it's sort of so important to do the things that you really have deep love for is that the only thing that keeps you doing some of that stuff, you know, like where I think in other jobs, I would do it for long enough that like, you know, I feel like sort of my max at any job was around three years because I would get too bored and like the passion wasn't really there. I was, I was really doing it mostly because it was sustaining my life and health insurance. Like, like a lot of Americans have to make a choice around. Um, but the thing that I think keeps you doing it, doing work long-term so that like the repetition and when it gets dull or hard, uh, and all of those things is actually having the joy behind it that, that continues to keep you going. I mean, it's like a marriage or something, right? That like, yeah, at some point it's secure and it's safe and it's commitment, but like the, the pieces that keep you going and all the moments that it's hard are the ones that are like joy and connection and passion and, and all of those things. Right. So I don't think it's really all that different for work. That makes sense to me, especially because, you know, as, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, yeah, if you had said to me four or five years ago, hey, you really want to spend a good chunk of every other weekend editing a one hour audio file, <laughs> right? And like making up links that and writing take you things like about it. Several hours. Yeah, to like do. you really want to do this every other weekend, right? I'd have been like, why? Why would you yeah, think no I would way. want to do that? But, you know, most of the time getting to listen to a conversation again is as much fun as listening to it, you know, as, as having it the first time. But, right. you know, the, the price, the price of getting to have these conversations is, okay, I got to sit down and spend, you know, anywhere between an hour and uh, let's not even think about the high estimate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on my first episode, it. I spent 12 hours just editing all the ums out until I decided that <laughs> Yeah, to, sometimes in a creative pursuit, it's more important that you can make it sustainable than it is to make it like a real piece of art. Yeah. So I had to let go of that and decide that uh, okay was better than not done. Yes, <laughs> for sure. And you, you know, I also think that you want to let people sound like they sound. You yeah, know, absolutely. unless it's like lots of long pauses and ums, in which case right. I might do something different. But but yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think that today there's something about that, that like we've had sort of, you know, a decade or two decades of like really polished, beautiful storytelling. And I think there's something about where we're at right now that just craves something that's real and human. And so, yeah, there was sort of uh, even not just a practical choice, but an artistic choice and going, I'm actually just going to let the sounds happen in the background. I'm going to let you know the um stay and all of those things because I mean one of my favorite podcasts is on being from you know with Krista Tippett and I, I listen to every raw interview. I've, I hardly ever touch the edited ones because I want to hear like when they blow their nose and I want to hear <laughs> like 
<laughs> side conversations that they have before they technically go on air and all of those things. Right. So yeah, I think there's, and it's not for everybody, you know, but I, I'm definitely someone who enjoys the sort of humanity behind all of that. So I think leaving some of those in is, is a choice that is actually, it can actually feel more connected to mm-hmm. whoever's listening. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, in order to have the joy of doing the thing, you might have to do a little work with it, but it still beats not doing the thing. Right. It still beats not doing it. Yeah. yeah it's it, it beats not feeling satisfied in life. Yes. Certainly. Yeah. A whole yeah, lot. At least giving it a shot. Yeah. And I think too, sort of going back to your previous question, for me, really more of the story, I guess, was like this lifelong thing that kept nagging me, which was like this idea that I had, you know, I think this is common in, in creative work for a lot of people too, is this, this idea that I had sort of one passion and I couldn't figure out what that passion was. You know, like I said, I was sort of good at a lot of things, not really caught by any caught up into any one thing. And, and I think for a lot of my life, at least when I heard the term felt so seen when I uh, heard the idea of being a generalist, that there are certain people in the world who are actually just sort of synthesizing between disciplines. And I thought, oh my God, I've never, I've never heard a term that made me feel like I, I was sort of normal. Like there, this was a sort of normal quote unquote problem, you know, (laughs) but that this was actually a gift that we in the world need people who are working sort of between those things. And even still, it's hard to understand as someone who's maybe a self-described generalist, what career you fit in, because you're still having to find your way in a world that is very specialized in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I think it nearing 40 years old, I turn 40 next month and in October, and I just felt like this constant frustration because I felt like I had a lot of skill like I had talent, I had passion, I had, you know, skills and experience and, you know, 20 plus years of work and just having no idea what, if I was ever going to find something that felt fulfilling and frustrated after a lifetime of people telling me that I needed to just choose and stick with it and, you know, make a career out of that thing and build a family and, you know, like all the sort of like narrative that you're supposed to follow. And my life looked nothing like that. And yeah, it wasn't truly until I started actually deciding to take steps further and further into trying my own creative pursuits that 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 sort of thing unsurfaced. And I've had this sort of miraculous stuff happen in the last few months as I've been doing it, which is like all of a sudden I realized that actually all along I'd been doing what I'm good at and not realize like, like not having a name for it or or that it was like so entrenched in who I was that I didn't I didn't even recognize I'd always been doing it. And then when I started doing the creative pursuits it was like the name for it unsurfaced which was really an ability to make connections between different things. And of course again that's a real challenge to know where that fits in society and into monetizable work but you know, the the writing I've been doing in my newsletter and then with a podcast especially was the first time I went, oh my God, I have like degrees and, you know, like I studied journalism, production, writing. I've been doing marketing for almost 20 years. 
I have always loved asking questions of people. It was like this wild thing happened where I was like, oh my God, I've been training for this exact thing for my entire life. And I had no idea where it was going to fit. And so I've also had all these just like really overwhelming like realizations that have just sort of knocked me back of going like, sometimes you also just have to be ready. Like that the the world is kind of doing something with you and all of your relationships and all of your work and all the things that you're interested in. And, you know, I, I, when I reached out to you originally, I wrote to you about fan fiction and, you know, having a shared love for that. And like all of these like little things that make you nerdy and just that you really love and light you up that, you know, somehow it was like all of a sudden all of that fit, like every single thing I'd ever done, every hard relationship I'd ever been in, you know, all of it is getting woven into the stories I get to tell now on the podcast. And that's just such an overwhelming feeling, or it has been for me of, you know, hindsight is 2020, but now looking back and just feeling like this immense sense of gratitude that like in all of my frustration of not being able to find the thing that I wanted to do, nothing of that was a waste. And all of it actually was preparation for where I'm at now. So yeah, and I don't think that that's necessarily common to every creative pursuit because I think, you know, a lot of times artists do several things over the course of their career and that's completely normal also. Um, And so maybe you don't find the one thing and then land in it forever. And I'm not sure I will do the podcast forever or write forever, but it does feel like I've sort of landed into some like magical new universe where I just have this like really profound sense of gratitude that all of the, all of the things I've ever done have, have led me here. And no matter how long I keep doing it, it's just what a cool ride to be on and to recognize that like, yeah, the, the world, the universe, like whatever you believe in, that's, that's the muse, like whatever those things are as a creative that, that none of your story is wasted, I guess. Such a fabulous story. And I can hear people who are listening to this saying, tell me how to do this. And yet I have a feeling that there is no one size fits all, you know, recipe. Yeah, I wish, you know, I a year, a year and a half ago, I started my and I've been a freelancer for a really long time, mostly doing branding and marketing communication stuff again, because it was easy for me to keep making, you know, profit from. Um, but usually in I mean, I guess the freelancing was, you know, contracting for other people, but I would, you know, often as you tend to do as a creative, like dip in and out of full-time work. And yeah, so it was often for other people. Um, and right before, literally I left a full-time job in January at the literally January 31st, 2020 and decided it was time (laughs) to start my own business for real full-time. Like I'd done freelancing here and there as like, oh, this is nice to have as a side business, you know, a side hustle or whatever, or it's nice to have, it's sort of like an attachment problem. Like I had a commitment issue where I was like, if I was ever in a full-time job, it was nice to know that I could, you know, fall back into contract work if I ever (laughs) hated it and needed to leave, Um, hated the full-time work. Um, And so in January, 2020, when I was leaving a job I'd been at for three years as the brand director I was like, oh, now is the time to fully go like all in full time on my own business. And I decided to start a branding and marketing advice business because I knew 
in my experience, I had cons like where, where I was last working, I, I was, it was part of a global community and in, because I was brand director, anytime people in that community would run into me in person, they would ask me, can I just have 20 minutes of your time for questions I have around branding and marketing? And, you know, I was being paid for whatever I was doing while I was there. So I, I was great with that. But I realized that like not everybody really needs to hire an agency for a big project every time, right? So I knew there was a need for it and that you could just hire like really, you know, it would be pretty high prices hourly, but also you wouldn't have to commit to like a, you know, a huge project. And so you could hire me once, you could hire me multiple times, you know, it, it felt like a model. It was sort of like, it was like coaching, you know, mm-hmm. really. Um creative coaching, business coaching, whatever, but it was just specifically branding and marketing. Um, you know, once I got into it, I realized that that was really the model I was following, even though I was coming into it going like, Oh, I've never seen branding people do this. Cause usually you're trying to upsell people into a long-term strategy project or, you know, concept or developing logos or that kind of thing. And I was like, listen, I actually want nothing to do with that. I would like to pass you on to somebody else. And so I was this by like unbiased perspective to go, you know, here's my advice for wherever you're at. And it, it, whenever I was on calls with people, it was extremely helpful, but, but I, um, Right. But contextually, I started at the end of January 2020. And two months later, the world fell apart. And I mean, magically, I had started a business that was meant to be on Zoom. It was a Zoom call advice business. So I could talk to anyone in the world. So theoretically, I had an incredible model to start from. And I wouldn't say so much that I suffered from the market falling out because of the pandemic. I would say, I just finally in doing something full time where I had to market myself publicly as a marketing pro made me nauseous. I was like, I just every time, like I, I spent a year spinning my wheels, building the back end and operations of that business. And then when I finally was like, Brandy, you, you kind of actually have to start getting clients <laughs> at some point. Um, so every time I would go public, I like I just started melting down. And I'm talking like major, like by the time early this year happened in 2021, and I tell this story early in episodes in my podcast that I was having like full blown, full body panic attacks. Like I cannot do this anymore. And I had no idea what that was other than just going like, this doesn't work for you anymore. You have tried continuing to do branding and marketing stuff for, you know, 10 years beyond when you thought I want to stop doing this work. And now that you're like, oh, I'm so skilled that I like, I knew I could make a multi hundreds of thousands of dollars business. I just knew like, I'm, I'm equipped to do it. You know, like I've been doing the marketing side for that long and I was running a marketing business, which I knew I had incredible advice to give people that would in an hour completely change, like save them at least the cost of the call. So I knew it was really effective and, and I could do it and I could make it extremely successful. And and p- part of a story I tell too is just that I thought like, well, and I think this is common with creative people is that you go, well, if I can just give away 20%, 40%, 80% of my life so that I can hopefully buy some time to do the creative work I actually want to do, then maybe that's a bargain I can stomach. And I got to a place where I realized, especially running your own business, 
even if you only technically are at your computer three days a week, that never turns off. It's just like, it's always going. And even if you've gotten to a place where you're successful enough to hire other people to manage that stuff so that you can only do two or three days a week of work, you're always managing those people. You know, like it was just like, I I just realized that 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 bargain wasn't actually, the the math wasn't going to work out. And, you know, so then I was like, well, maybe I can just do the thing that other people do, which is like, maybe just kill myself for three to five years, make a ton of money, work all the time, and then finally have enough financial footing to do what I care about. And I was like, I'm, I'm nearly 40. And I genuinely think that will kill my body. Like, I think it actually will kill me. I can't do it anymore. And so I just, I hit this point where I was like having panic attacks. I was sobbing on the phone to friends who were just so graciously listening to me break down. And I finally, because I had the benefit of, you know, pandemic assistance, like I truly, if, if I had not had what amounts to a version of universal basic income over the last 18 months, my dream life probably either would have never happened or maybe would have happened three to five years from now. Um, But when I started having those breakdowns, I decided to just go like, okay, you've got a little bit of financial security because of the unemployment assistance. So what you're going to do is now that you've completely worn yourself out, like your body is so spent, you're going to take a few weeks and just kill you. I formally decided to kill the business. I shut down the trade name. I killed the website. I wrote my email list. I told them, listen, I don't know what I'm doing next. Here's my regular email address if you want to keep following me. But like, this is gone. I can't do it anymore. (laughs) And, And so I took some time off. And in that time off, I mean, I had started writing again. I had kicked up my newsletter, which I had killed partway through the pandemic because I just was so busy and I was too tired to like really focus on it. I, I started it up again and I had been doing it for a couple months by the time this happened. But when I took that little break and I was like actually recovered, I was engaging in stuff that brought me like joy. You know, I was listening to other podcasts, which I love to do. And I was reading a ton and just out on a walk one day. I wasn't like, you know what I would love or do you like, I was not coming from this from a place where I was like, what would be a great lead generation tool, a podcast, you know, like that's not, that's not where I was coming from. I was genuinely just out on a walk and I was like, you know, what would be like, it was just like, it just appeared truly. It was like one of those like muse moments where you're like, it just happened. And I was like, it would be so incredible. You know, my whole life I've been so interested always and fascinated by people who are mashing together different things, you know, like dance and neuroscience. And that has been a theme for me well beyond when I sort of recall ever putting money to what I was doing in my life. And so it started out as just this, like, it would be so rad. I have seen people who do like their nights in Denver where I live that have people who like work in one discipline and another person who works in another discipline. And then they sort of go, how, where's the common thread between those things? 
but I hadn't like, I knew I was a person and I know that so many other creatives are people who have been like, I know on one of your podcasts, you talked to someone who's like a psychologist and then all of a sudden she started writing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, I, I had so rarely heard from just one person who had been in these like really disparate fields in their life and then had found some either innovation at the center of those things or insight that no one had ever thought of before or just had found some wild way to weave together their sort of career interests. And I thought it would be so incredible to talk to individuals who are doing that. Cause not only does it speak to this idea that I love and match mashing weird stuff together and finding out, you know, like what comes out of that, but also gives me an opportunity to talk about this sort of like career journey that we all take. That's like very meandering. And, and it was like, as soon as I started doing it, I would tell it to people, everyone had an idea. They were like, Oh my gosh, have you ever heard of Nathan Mirvold who used to work in like weather science or something and was really fascinated with bread. And then all of a sudden found this connection between hurricanes and yeast, you know, like that, that sort of stuff that was like, Oh my gosh, this is like a never ending topic I can tap, you know, tap into. And, and so, yeah, I just started pursuing that. And I'm, I'm such a verbal processor and a rambler. I think I've <laughs> rambled well beyond your first question, <laughs> but yeah, that's just sort of the, I don't know where, how I got here, I guess. And, oh, I guess what, what you were talking about was really more like, you know, people who are listening going like, how do I do that? You know? And yeah, I think the the very short answer is where I started with that was going like you wish as a coach, which I which I was doing with my branding and marketing because everybody comes to you to to go give me the formula. I want to like sit down and do a branding exercise, and I want to uncover all my deepest values and truths, and realize you know like sit down with maybe a like personality test person and have them tell me all of the like you know the perfect things for me. And and honestly, it was like I really felt like I just had to be ready. And there's like no making you ready. And and sometimes also that that ready, like I said, is just like maybe for six months you draw and 10 months after that you take on a client project and, you know, for three years after that you write a little and maybe that is the purpose, you know, like I don't think you necessarily have to find any one particular thing. Like I feel like I've sort of magically stumbled into this one mm -hmm. thing that fits me really well and feels like it sort of wraps my story up in a bow, but my story is not a bow. Like I, you know, I can make it sound really pretty and magical. <laughs> and like, there was this like beautiful story arc to it, but it has been hard and it has been ugly and it has been beautiful. And, you know, like I said, I, I also like, I'm a person who tends to overwork when I have an idea for something also. So I've just spent the last few months producing this podcast and I'm about to launch and I'm so exhausted that I'm like, Brenny, you forgot that the magic is doing this in a way that you can make it sustainable and not that you just burn yourself the hell out, you know? So, um, you know, those are some of the things I still have to learn that maybe I won't do this forever. You know, maybe I tire myself out still until <laughs> I learn a way to work differently. I don't know. But what I can say and what I keep telling my therapist is that like, if I literally only had these 11 episodes and that's all I ever do... I feel so proud for having taken the risk, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you said like, there's, I don't remember now how you exactly you phrased it a minute ago, but something along the lines of like, there's, you have to be ready, but you can't make yourself ready. Yeah. And yet I think, 
I think you kind of did. You just didn't know you were doing it. And I think that part of it, because, you know, people who are listening can't see how much I have been nodding my head while you've been talking, but I've been doing (laughs) that because a lot of your story about how you landed on this podcast feels a lot like what happened with mine. You know, my Mm. idea for this podcast literally came to me, and this is such a cliche, but it's true, while I was in the shower at the gym one night. (laughs) And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a podcast where you talk to all sorts of creative people and heard the stories about like the people who encouraged them, even though there was an influence that was discouraging them, you know, like the teacher who was like, Seriously, we have this play coming up you might want to try out for. I know your dad thinks that you need to play sports all the time, but you know, go go to right. rugby practice and then come try out for the play. And right. and then I thought and you could like use it as an excuse to travel. You could be like, you know, where am I and who else should I talk to while I'm in your town and whatever. And that part didn't happen because it takes more money than I had to put into this, but <laughs> Zoom is great. But you know, yeah. it's I feel like there's a big chunk of being ready that's just down to hearing those ideas when they pop into your head and paying attention when they don't leave you alone. You know, it never left me. I didn't have like a huge plan for how I was going to make this happen. And then I met somebody who would be such a great guest and I asked and he said yes. And, you know, there there we were. Yeah. I think too, that for me, what feels really true is this sort of common cliche in the writing world, which is writers often talk about how you you think what writing looks like is having the idea and every day, like Ursula Le Guin or something that you, you sit down from like 6am to 10am and you just bust out a bunch of stuff. And that, that happens for some people, you know, the, like the real sort of, um, what's the, the war of art or whatever. That, yeah. Yeah. That, that there's a, there is a discipline to it. And, and I have found that in my creative work that sometimes I do just have to sit myself down and have a deadline, mm-hmm. you know, but, but the cliche thing that always gets talked about is this thing that like, you know, you think that sitting down and writing the book is the writing the book, but you've been writing the book the whole time, which is, you know, you living your life is actually sort of gathering all of the little bits and the data that you then once you sit down to write, bring into the book. And so even though as a creative, you think you're like wasting all this time, not sitting down and writing, you're actually doing the important necessary work before you sit down to a page. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a perfect analogy for any creative endeavor. It's the whole like, man, who said this? It's, I'm going to butcher it also. That's the like, um, how vain it is to sit down to write when you've not stood up to live. Ooh. Um, like that, I think is sort of a different take on that exact story. It's like you, uh, and even like starting a business, you're like, sometimes you just have to have enough experience, you know, like, sure. There are the Zuckerbergs or whatever of the world that at like 19 or 20, just like come racing out of the gate. But one of my early interviews is David, um, David Epstein, who wrote a book called range, why generalists triumph in a specialized world. And he talks about how, you know, there's, uh, there was some study done where someone, someone like interviewed people at some sort of startup thing and asked a bunch of people like, when do you, what do you think is the average age of a successful startup entrepreneur? And everyone said like something like 25 and research shows that it's actually 45. And so, yeah, there's just this like false perception, I think that like, 
you know, there are writers and artists or whatever, and musicians, of course, that like make it huge, you know, like really early in life. But a lot of times you just really do have to do the necessary work of living before you're ready to, to create. And again, like I'm making it sound like it's some sort of like magnum opus. Like it's like at some point you just create this like amazing work of art. That's like your only and major thing in life. But, but I just mean, even like the, you know, like how part of what I love about range from David Epstein and like anytime he talks about it online, I talk to him about how there's just this like emotional outpouring of like tweet after tweet after tweet or something of people just going like, I didn't do such and such until I was 60. I didn't do whatever until I was 75. I started my PhD when I was 50, like all of those things, you know? And I think it's just a, an awful sort of story we tell that you've got to have it figured out early. And then also you just, yeah, I love the idea that what you're doing your entire life, you're writing the book the whole time, you know, whether it's your eventual project as a book or a piece of art or, you know, a podcast or whatever, or a business that the whole time you're just gathering. You're in training. Yeah. You're in training. You're like gathering the characters. You're, you know, like you're, you're writing the drafts the whole time. Um, yeah. So it's a bunch of training. Yeah. And I wonder what would happen if more people thought of it like that. Cause I feel like that's so much more empowering than I'm 42 and I always wanted to write a book and I haven't done it. And I'm going to be a failure because I've never written my book, which is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> part of what I love about that too, is just like the, I mean, fan fiction is such a great example where I, some of the best writing I've ever seen in my entire life is hardly ever seen by people. It's not published. It's just like on some weird, you know, internet, mm -hmm. like forum sites or whatever. It's just like, yeah, there's, there's so many people who are so gifted at stuff that like, probably, like I said, are finding ways to do it already in their life, maybe, but in a different way. So like for me, that was like a lot of times I'd get hired by like an ad agency or something. And I was really good at strategy for branding or whatever, but also they realized I was just a really good writer. So I'd like start doing as a copywriter. And, and sometimes, yeah, like I said, that gift is just so close to you that it's hard to see. And yeah. yeah, sometimes it takes maybe also people in the world enough going, have you ever noticed that you seem to do X all the time, you know, or that you have enough jobs eventually where people just naturally ask you to slot into something where you're like, oh, I should maybe pay attention to that. Or people ask you how you do something and you say, I don't know, I just do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like, so that's what makes it so hard to see. Mm -hmm. It's like so intrinsic to who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, I, I released a newsletter on Tuesday called purpose plus nature. Cause I always, the, the newsletters I write are sort of like the podcast where I'm always combining two sort of weird things together. And I was talking about this conversation I'd been having with my friend, Jonathan, who's a, another designer and creative person in the world. He lives with his wife in Nashville and we talk every month and we were having this conversation at some point a year ago. And, uh, you know, this, we were having, just talking about the idea of purpose, you know, going, does everyone have one? Do only a lucky few people have one? What does that mean? And just sort of out of nowhere, this idea was like, I mean, oak trees just always give acorns. Like it's literally in an oak tree's DNA to make an acorn. And that acorn feeds the, you know, it feeds its environment. And that's the gift it offers to the life around it. And, you know, I, I was just sort of speaking in the newsletter to this idea that like, yeah, it's 
sometimes we're just like a, an, an oak tree looking over at cherry trees and going like, why am I not producing fruit? Um, or like, what is my gift? I don't understand. And you're like, wait, the whole time I've been giving it, like since the day I was born, I was just spreading that gift everywhere. And that's never going to stop. So I think like purpose is not this thing that's like, oh, I found the job that will pay me to do it. And that's the like, that's the sort of like magical place we would all like to get to. But really, you're probably just already doing it and you're offering it as a service in your relationships, at your work, like all of those things. And um, yeah, sometimes it's just so close to you that it's just difficult to see mm -hmm. until again, enough experience or enough people just help you sort of point that out. Yeah. So I want to get to aliveness. Yeah. Because this is my favorite. Topic. Yes. And, and I have <laughs> the feeling that, that there's a lot of good stuff in here for a couple of different reasons, but probably hours worth. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was my overwhelming sense. But if you could tell me like how you got to the idea of aliveness and what what mm -hmm. it means because i feel like that's part of what we've just been talking about too so i think this yeah. is a great place to get there yeah oh i'm so glad you asked about this um yeah i mean my story really around aliveness is that um and, and i tell this in early podcast interviews because i actually end up interviewing andreas weber who's the guy who really introduced this topic to me in a book called it's very scandalous sounding, but it's, <laughs> it's called Matter and Desire and Erotic Ecology. And it basically makes the point that all of life is erotic because we're always in relationship with and in like touch and material, like matter is constantly like always alive and, and um, interacting and engaging with each other. And we are part of that environment. And I had been introduced to the, uh, to the book by my friend, Seth. I was doing this, um, project that was, a I was helping her as case may be with a branding project. Cause she was starting a farm restaurant, a symbiotic farm restaurant hotel in the Carbondale Valley in the mountains of Colorado. Right. And I had spent years doing like food security and, uh, um, I have a lot of health issues also that sort of had me like very, food has been a really important part of my story. And so I was really really interested in helping her do what she was up to. And, and part of that, she's the one who also introduced me to Wendell Berry, who's where I first heard the term generalist and, um, Audrey Lord, who wrote uses of the erotic, which is also sort of this, um, essay that Audrey Lord wrote about like, like all these really beautiful lines that say some, you know, stuff like once you basically taste what it is to, to do, stuff that's meaning like to live an erotic life like you're just like anything else is intolerable becomes intolerable and so there had been all these things that were sort of inspiring me around like oh what is that what is that that i'm feeling and and so seth told me in that sort of period of time about this book from andreas called matter and desire and i read it and really the like sort of underlying theme of the book is about aliveness that that sort of the point of life is more life that like he's he's a um a, a biologist by training but this beautiful poetic writer and and so he has an actual like scientific explanation is that like whatever your religious leanings your spiritual leanings that literally life is always trying to um you know reach out for more life and and death is part of that 
death is part of that system, but it's always trending toward more life. And so he applies a lot of that in, or at least I started to apply a lot of that to like, what did it, what is it then in my own, in, in my work? Like, is there work that makes me more or less alive? And, and because I had been doing a bunch of stuff also in food, I had, I had been diving into ideas around permaculture. And so I had started getting introduced to concepts like regenerative relationships where like, you know, the three sisters concept, uh, that comes from indigenous communities. It's when you put beans and corn and I think squash, I'm maybe going to screw up the third one. I'm forgetting what the three are. Um, but when you put the three together, they grow more because there's something about the three, you know, the, the three of them in relationship that actually create more life than had they been further apart or separate from each other. Wow. And, and I, I had actually in that permaculture work, I had taken all of these, um, I had taken this summer long series of workshops around combining like taking patterns from permaculture and applying them to social movements. Like what we could, what could we learn from permaculture and apply to our lives and also in um, like community organizing work. And so when I read matter and desire, I, I did, I had been on this like long journey of sort of thinking about work in this context. And so when I came up across the idea of aliveness from Andreas Weber I was asking myself, you know, like I said, is there work in the world? Not just relationships. Like I think we can, it's very clear that we have certain relationships that make us more or less alive. Um, so I was asking those questions too, but I started to apply it to my work and go like, what is the work that makes me more or less alive? And what I talk about with Andreas in the interview that we have is partially this thing that like in a lot of my life, I felt like it was really hard to access this idea of like happiness or even joy. Like how do I measure those things? But aliveness for me, I could literally feel as a mechanism in my actual body that like when I did certain things, I would either, and, and I guess the really practical way to say this is that part of the, one of the stories I tell too, is that I, you know, I, I was auditing this class at the time, you know, while I was doing this full-time work and I was tired of the job. I didn't really like the job you know, I was drained always. So like I was making that bargain again as a creative person of going like, well, okay, I'll take the full-time job. And then in my free time, I'll do the work that really lights me up. But as we all know, a lot of the time, if you're doing full-time work that doesn't actually give you life, you're so drained that your brain and your energy and also just practically 40 hours plus of work a week doesn't leave you with a lot of time to do anything other than just be an adult and take care of your kids and do the laundry and do all those things. And so your creativity just gets further and further onto the back burner. And so I had this like really tangible example at this time of reading that book, auditing this class while I was at a full-time job and the job would drain me. I wasn't doing any of my creative work, but I would go in the middle of a work week to this class that was about quantum physics and breath work. And like, it was basically mashing the humanities and the sciences together. And it was beautiful and incredible taught, taught by another guy that I interviewed, Lincoln Carr, who is a quantum physicist and a poet. And I would leave that class at 10 PM every week. And I would literally, even now I have goosebumps. I would like want to run around the neighborhood. I had so much energy at 10 PM. Right. And so it was like, immediately I had this practical, tangible example to go, this work kills me. 
it literally feels like it kills my body. And I know it because I'm sitting down all day. I feel terrible. I don't have the energy to exercise. Like it is quite literally draining my life force and probably going to kill me at some point if I keep doing it. And, and that sounds so dramatic, but I'm so like, I think so many of us are just autoimmune conditions. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, our, we are wrecked from stress and adrenal fatigue and, you know, all of those things. And then there's this other job that just, or this other avenue, even it wasn't even work yet. You know, I was just auditing this class, but that just lights me up. And so what I tell Andreas in our interview is that it was like, all of a sudden I had this compass where I could go does this give me more life or doesn't it? Does it make my body literally have more life or does it make me feel like I'm dying? And it wasn't like I immediately quit my job and then was like, I'm going to go do all my creative things. You know, like, again, I think I had to be ready to take those steps, but yeah, that's, that's sort of how I came to the idea of aliveness and, and sort of what started me on that journey and has continued to be a compass for me and in, in my art and in my work and in my relationships and really everything. It's like it became an undergirding principle about everything in my life that guided me toward like, oh, that's where I need to go. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated by this because, and I have not talked about this before on here because I'm never quite sure how to talk about it because it is hard to describe in words that feel sane to me. But not quite a year ago, I had an experience while I was meditating, which I certainly never expected because I am not like a champion meditator, right? I am constantly (laughs) realizing that I'm going over my grocery list or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But for some reason, this one day, all of a sudden, it was like I I had this understanding that we are all little sparks of creativity, creative energy, creative divine. I'm Mm -hmm. not even sure what to call it. And that Mm -hmm. that's what connects us to the larger life force of the universe, which I have kind Mm -hmm. of come to call the divine creative life force because I don't know what else Mm -hmm. to call it. Like, I am not going to sit here and say, I had an experience where I had a, you know, with God or whatever it might be. I don't know. I think that's sort of the poetry of it, though, is that we're never meant to actually be able to describe love or divinity or whatever, you know, like we're all just sort of, it's like poetic poking at like, one of the things I say, like I, I, and this will only be a very short tangent, but I wrote something <laughs> maybe two years ago. It was about the intersections of land and love. And it was like, the, I sort of start off a piece of it that's sort of referring to the idea of like Moses and the burning bush. Like, I don't really care what your religious leanings are, but like, if you think about it, like there's a, like whenever he talks to God, God is always just over there. Like it, he's a bush. He's somewhere else. He was there. He's, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's what it feels like. I think as we're like trying to go like, what is this like magic? Yeah. I don't know, but it's there. It's it's there. And what's really struck me about it was kind of this sense of like, okay, so, so there's this larger creative life force and we're all smaller manifestations of it. And the reason that doing all of our creative stuff feels so good is because it puts us back in touch with that larger force, which sounds an awful lot like to me, like what you're talking about when you talk about aliveness, I think it's essentially the same thing, just in different words. Yeah, it's a hundred percent that. And and one of the reasons I love Andreas is that it's like, yes, you can still talk about the spiritual divinity, whatever part of that, 
But Andreas is coming also from a biological background where he's going like, truly, life is constantly wanting to strive toward more aliveness. And, um, and I think that like what I have seen is that like, I think especially in like white Western cultures, we forget that like a lot of more ancient and indigenous cultures have always seen themselves as deeply intertwined in nature. And, and we have seen ourselves as sort of separate mm-hmm. from nature. And, and I think there's part of Andreas's work that helped me sort of repair that disconnection and going, no, you're equally like the oak tree. You're just as much always giving or taking of life as you're existing. And so if I started to just go like, if literally the nature scientifically, spiritually, whatever, like if every creative you've ever heard, if every spiritual leader you've ever heard, Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, whatever, says like these same basic tenets. And again, even scientists, quantum physicists who are going, the nature of the universe is X. And really that X is just something that hits at this idea of aliveness that goes like a tree is always wanting to be more alive, a plant, humans, ants, like whatever the case may be, we're always trying to produce more life. And so that's striving. It's like I started to see is like, we're just, we're no different than a plant in your window that is constantly reaching for the sun. And you can consider a plant animate or not, but despite whatever you think, it is always reaching toward more life. And, and I think that what I have started to see is that like the, the true magic to me about this that has really gotten very quite spiritual is, and, and I think that weirdly, again, whatever you believe that when you start really trying to do your creative work, it, it gets real weird. Mm -hmm. Like stuff gets weird and magical and symbiotic and, um, psychological, like even just all the mental stuff that you have to work through. Like there's just a bunch of wild things that happen. But one of the things that has been the most profound to me in doing this, and I think part of what I feel like sort of the message for me became was not just doing my own creative work and how important it is to like hold complexity and nuance, which is sort of the point of the podcast, but the sort of secondary part that went, oh my God, in my experience of doing this, and also combining it with this like work and sort of pursuit I've been doing around aliveness in the last handful of years. If that's the nature of the universe, I see the way that when I step into my gifts and I offer that in joy and it gives me more life, it gives whoever's listening to it more life. So who, hopefully whoever's listening to this podcast, like you're going, oh my God, yes, I'm so stoked to do X, right? So there's this like magic thing. Like even my friend Natalie heard my podcast trailer the first time and, and was like, I woke up the next morning and she's an author. She has a book coming out next year. Um, so we'll be a published author with a major publication or public, you know, publishing house. And she's like, most mornings I wake up and I, I sort of struggle to get to my desk and I like really take my time getting there to like sit down and write my book. But I heard your, your trailer and I went, I'm so stoked to do my own creative work. And I was like, there is something magical about when you start offering your real gifts to the world and the stuff that lights you all the way up, that makes you more alive, that adds more aliveness to other people. And then those people are empowered to do what they love. And then they start lighting other people up. And I was like, this is biological. It's scientific. It's spiritual. It's like all of those things. Like literally, I think that the universe 
whether you think that is just energy, whether you think it's divine, I don't really care. But the I started to realize that I truly believe that the nature of the universe wants more life. And if the nature of the universe is for more aliveness, then would it not provide us everything that we need in order to step into whatever it is that's being able to offer more aliveness to other people? And so, and you see that again, when you talk to creative after creative who has like, quote unquote, made it, they, their story more often than not is like, I took this one step and then all of a sudden someone showed up and then like you, I, you had that first podcast guest and then $250 showed up in your bank account. And then you go, okay, universe, I'm going to take this one other step. And then like bigger things show up, you know? And I was like, I genuinely believe that the universe wants you to succeed at doing the things that you love because it means you add more life into the system and you adding more life into the system is utterly necessary because shit is terrible in a lot of ways and people are dying and they're hungry for something more. And so I just have this like, yeah, like I said, overwhelming, like spiritual deep belief that like, I, I really think that a lot of the story that we tell ourselves in terms of like, I can't, I can't do this because I won't make enough money. I can't do this. Like more often than not, also what you hear is like when you start doing the thing that you love, you make so much more money than you ever dreamed of. And maybe there's like my friend Kyle likes to talk about how the period of time I'm about to enter is like when I've decided to do the creative thing and the period of time where I'm not yet making that money is actually a period of time when the universe is like, you tell me if you're serious. Ooh. And so it's like, no, I might not be making the money yet, but there is a period of time where it goes, I'm going to give you every challenge and every reason to turn back to the, to the safety, to the, you know, the, the easy route that would have you living a half life. If you want it, you're more than welcome to take it, but I'm going to challenge you through a period of time before you're ready to really even be able to cope with like the amount of money or success or fame or whatever, or maybe just like a, a, a good life that you're so thrilled with. Maybe it's not fame. Maybe it's not a, a ton of money, whatever that is for you that you feel most alive doing. doesn't really matter how much like quantity doesn't really matter of any of those things. But like, I just really believe that eventually like the universe is like, Oh, you are serious you're going to keep doing this. And because you're serious and I've seen you prove it over and over again. And again, like prove is such a sort of dirty word, <laughs> but like I've seen you show up again and again to say, I'm committed to doing this thing. And, you know, Julia Cameron, the like artist way, like there's a thing I say to myself all the time out of her book. That's like something about how, um, like the, the universe sort of supports things like projects and, and ideas that are, especially if they're expansive. And so as soon as you decide on the how, or sorry, as soon as you decide on the what, it will give you the how. And so, yeah, for me, I felt like it just took 40 years to figure out what my flag to plant was, you know? And then as soon as I did it, everything started bending around it. And again, like, it's not, I'm not like making I'm, tr- I'm not even making money right now, really. <laughs> Again, I'm still sort of surviving off of um, universal, you know, well, I guess in our world, it's unemployment. 
it has felt like universal basic income. But again, I was talking to my friend Kyle yesterday. He was like, yeah, this is the period of time where you're about to get to prove that you're serious about this thing. Um, but yeah, I just to sort of close out this long rant, uh, or, or, you know, being on a soapbox that I just truly believe that the universe, because it wants more life, it is always trending toward more life. I think there is something literally scientific about you doing stuff that brings you more life and how that adds more life to the system and to people and lights other people up and empowers them to do their own things that bring, you know, life to other people then that, I want to say that you can basically bank on when you take those big steps that eventually, excuse me, eventually the resources show up. I love the idea of, you know, this is what the universe wants. It wants more life. It wants everybody to move in the direction of more life. But I can't not think about the irony of the fact that so many of us not only don't believe that that's true, but have turned off our connection to that so much that we have trouble even feeling it because we do mm-hmm. spend 80% of our time at a day job that is not making us feel alive. And then we go yeah. home and we collapse where, yeah. you know, the irony is even if you're only doing five minutes of the thing you love, it mm-hmm. it will energize you and it will help to counteract the effects of being drained right. all day, even though that's totally counterintuitive and it doesn't feel like that could possibly be right. It absolutely right. is. And it feels like we have set ourselves up to believe that, you know, you're not supposed to enjoy what you do unless you're super, super lucky that this is the best you could expect out of life. And meanwhile, over here, there's all sorts of reason to believe that that's not true. Even if you just look at it from the point of view of five minutes of creativity will make you feel more alive. Right. And, and I think, and I've, I've said this before on here, I think the real tragedy is that we all have these things that we love to do but we forget when we haven't done them for a while, why we love them, because we forget how good it feels. Like there's a part of us that's like, oh yeah, I really love that. But it's kind of like, it's theoretical. It's not practical. We've totally lost that. And then when you go back and you do that thing again for the first time in a while, you're just sitting there going, I totally forgot how awesome this is. How could I have forgotten how awesome this is? And it's because, you know, the the culture and the need to keep a roof over your head and, and all of that, just drains it right out of us. Yeah. Yep. And, and yeah, I mean, I find it hard sometimes to sort of preach like that about doing what you love, you know, because that is the constant retort and it, it's not, it's both like equally real and equally not meaning it is real that we live within an economic system that keeps us drained for the most part. And, and that it is extremely hard to access, especially for people who have far l- less access than others. So more, the more marginalized you are, the harder accessing that becomes, right? Um, so, so that is a lived reality for most of us. But also on, right on the other side of that is an equally real reality, which is again, me just sort of tapping into the theme of my podcast. It's like equally both things, right? <laughs> And so the, the other side of the coin is that a lot of that story 
And I get a lot of this actually from Charles Eisenstein. He's a guy who wrote um, Sacred Economics, uh, which talks about how capitalism is eventually a system that actually logistically has to die. Like it literally can't function forever. Um, I'll let him do that talking because he's an (laughs) economist or, you know, he at least did enough economic research that he speaks well to it and I cannot. Um, So highly recommend reading the book, but his, he sort of in the latter half says, okay, great. If that dies, what would be a world that would come next? And what would be an economic system that would support that? And a lot of his um, sort of speaking to that is the idea of living in the gift, like that actually when you give away the things that you're great at, money also shows up or support also shows up or like, there's just this, like, again, it's like a magic thing that happens when I was thinking the other day, like, you know, this sort of tendency where you, when you think about it, like applied to your house, where you're like, okay, I'm going to lock down all the doors and I'm going to like bolt the locks and I'm going to like put security cameras outside. I'm going I'm to remain constantly vigilant so that nobody takes my stuff you know, or if you apply it to business, it's like, I'm going to charge a hundred percent, you know, like 10 times what I'm worth. And like, all those things are valid leanings because everybody, you know, people bring value and the value deserves to get honored, but like, you know, applying it to like security in your house, for instance, if we, if we sort of take the analogy from your money to your house and like the way that we sort of are so protective over our things to make sure no one takes it. And what's interesting is that in the world, when that happens, the human response is often to try to take it. It's like, how do I get in there? You know? And even if you think about it, like preppers, you know, like if the world is ending, if I can gather enough resources to make sure I stay safe, it's probably the most practical way to make sure that if the world ever falls apart, people are coming for you Mm -hmm. to take your resources. Right. But the magic thing is that when you, you're, if someone was trying to break into your house and of course, if they're not carrying a gun, you know, like if it's not literally endangering your life, again, this is sort of an extreme example, but going like, if you were like, have it, you can have everything. Cause I have an inherent sense of trust that the world is going to provide for me, whatever I need. And all of this isn't like pretending that property is mine is a false notion. You know, like there's all these ways that we pretend that all these things are ours, but like they're really collective. And, and so Charles really talks about this magic thing that happens also when you give your gifts away that people then are owe you a karmic debt. They don't just like take it. They start to go like, oh my God, I can't believe you offered that to me. I want, I'm compelled to give you something of value to you in return. And so I think that Yes, again, this idea that it's so hard to tap into that and that we're so drained and and also like we're so numbed. It's the easy option is to be numbed. Mm-hmm. Always. It's so easy to stay watching Netflix, to stay doing the job that's like enough. You know? And and some people should do that. You should continue doing that. Like if that is a fulfilling life to you, then it's great. Like no one's here to shame anybody. Um but that's it's easy to stay in that sort of consistent stream. It is hard to go, I'm going to try. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to risk all these things, you know? Um, so yeah, it takes some, it takes some chutzpah, I guess. But um, yeah, I just, I'm, I've become a real believer that on the other side of that false story we've created in a lot of ways that we're in a constant fight for survival 
that every, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. And we always have to fight for resources and we're going to do that until the day that we die. And like all of that story is so much story. And what happens when you start tapping into aliveness and giving your gifts and being in that stream, the resources show up. I mean, when I started doing this, it was like the, um, like I have friends who were just like insanely talented who were like, we're going to gift you a video for your podcast, which awesome. today I had a friend be like, can you tell me how much that would probably cost? And I was like, I have no idea because they never quoted me, but I'm going to guess because of my experience that it's probably somewhere between five and $10,000 and probably closer to 10 given how much time they spent on it. And, and they just gifted it to me. And I never would have asked for that, you know? But like now all of a sudden it's it's going to create more opportunity for me. It creates instantly more legitimacy of what I'm up to. It will add more life into my world. And I feel compelled and indebted to them now to give back, you know? And so again, yeah, it's just been this like constant, like the resources show up when you start actually believing that that's how the universe works and not this sick story that we can't keep living in anymore that is truly killing all of us that we can't live more we can't have more life aliveness is something that's not available to us that's that's you know that's bullshit brandy like all of those things when you start stepping into the other story wild things happen wild i mean and again i'm mostly speaking from my own experience but i'm also talking about every creative i've ever loved and listened to they tell the exact same story. Yeah. I mean, and, and I can tell you that of all the things that I expected when I started this podcast, I did not expect it to have a life of its own, but it very clearly does. You know, mm -hmm. like I, it's almost going on three years now. I, I have to work hard to remember and I honestly don't. So if it ever happened, it couldn't have been more than once, maybe worrying about whether I was going to have a guest for the next episode you right. know I, I mean people just turn up somebody emails me out of the blue or i get an email from somebody else like you should talk to this person you know and then that leads to another five or six people i mean there it it just it just goes and yeah. and i realized about a year ago it was like the stupidest thing you could ever do is let go of this thing that has a life of its own. Like I am yeah. grabbing its tail and hanging on and I don't know where it's going, but I'm not letting it go. Yeah. I will say too, even that like, I mean today, so again, like I'm, I, I launched the podcast next week for whenever, when we're recording this at least. Um, and I have just been working nonstop for months now on it. And I'm, I'm so, I am weeks beyond scraping the bottom of my energetic barrel, even in something that gives me life, right? And again, as Kyle tells me, sprints happen. <laughs> Sometimes you're pushing. Sometimes you are pushing. Kyle needs to write a book. I'm, I'm serious. This guy, <laughs> this guy, I love him. Um, so I'm so tired and I, because I'm constantly like my brain just will, it's like that bad meditation. You're like, I can't even try meditation right now because sleep is hard enough. Like just shutting my brain off is so difficult. And I have woken up for no reason for the last three nights, some sometime in between three and 4am. I am utterly exhausted 
And today I was like, Brandy, you finally have to stop working for a day. And I like went out into the mountains and came back and I was like, I know I have to do this interview. And the last thing I want to do is something else related to the podcast right now. And I will tell you that however far into this, that I am more alive than I have been at any other energetic point today because I love talking about this shit. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I don't know if cursing is a lot. (laughs) Um, I'm a cursor. Um, So yeah, I, I love this. And it's like, I will leave this being excited myself. And so, yeah, there's just like, man, yeah. What a gift. What a gift to get to do that stuff where most times when you think about work, you go, man, what work, you know, and it is work. You know, we've already talked about the amount of time you spend editing, Mm -hmm. editing, much less prepping for reading, being in the interview, marketing, audio engineering, show notes. Like, I mean, the amount of work that a podcast requires, no one can prepare you for. Yep. I have read all the books that told me, Brandy, it's really a lot of work. And then I did it. And I'm a person who does, can do a lot of work and still was like, wow, this is a lot of work. <laughs> but like, I just, it, yeah, it, it lights me up. That's it. It's a simple truth. And so, yeah, it's, and hopefully, yeah, like, again, like hopefully this has been a fun conversation. So hopefully you leave with more life and then the listeners get more life. And I'm like, let's just like, that's what the universe wants. And I'm happy to keep doing it if that's what the universe wants. Cause it means I feel most alive for as much of my life as possible. And that, that seems like a pretty good way to live. It really does. I swear to God, most times I sound like a preacher. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I know the feeling. But, but it also sounds like a really good place to stop, even though I really kind of don't want to. Well, great. This has been an absolute blast, and I'm so glad that you got in touch. Thank you so much. That's this week's show. Thanks again to Brandy Stanley for joining me. You can find links to her, her podcast, and to the many books she mentioned in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and share it with a friend. I appreciate it more than I can say. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.